1: Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 63. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, for the first time ever, we've actually got a theme to this week's Drabblecast. Robots. Everyone loves robots. Except for maybe old people. Robots and the elderly have never gotten along, and our Drabble story this week reflects that perpetual and inevitable conflict. It's called 360 Degrees by Derek K. Palmer. Derek lives in Provo, Utah, and has been writing since he was young, but has no previous credits to his name. That, of course, doesn't matter to us. A good Drabble's a good Drabble. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words long. Send yours into Drabblecast at yahoo.com. Hope you enjoy. I was a boy when androids replaced radio DJs, Grandpa said to the girl. I didn't like the Andes at first, their glassy eyes or how their heads could spin around. But people preferred automated voices announcing songs, and before long they worked our jobs, made our decisions, and took us over. Little Roni gave him a warning nudge. Don't talk like that. Grandpa surveyed the park, wondering how many there were out there, pretending to be real people. Bots damn Andes, he muttered. We were better off without them. Sad old man, said the child, as her head spun around 360 degrees. Our feature story this week is called Time Shift by Benjamin Pung. Ben is a programmer and graphic designer living in a small town in Georgia with his wife and two young children. His science fiction influences were Ray Bradbury, Douglas Adams, and Philip K. Dick. This is also his first published story, which he credits to the fact that it came to him in a dream. I credit it to the fact that it's a great story, and I hope Ben follows his dreams more often. Unless, of course, his dreams are being broadcast to a hive of alien ring wasps in some desolate galaxy far away. I share the narration with none other than the prolific author and podcast icon, Murr Lafferty. Murr has so much going on that I couldn't possibly plug it all here. I've been really into her latest podcast novel, Playing for Keeps, and I would definitely recommend it to anyone out there who likes good superhero stories. I'd also highly recommend her podcast for wannabe fiction writers, I Should Be Writing, both of which are linked in our show notes. See, there are tons of podcasts and podio books out there, as I'm sure anyone listening to this show knows. The problem is sifting through all that crap and finding those gems that are really worth feeding into your whatever pod. Anything with Murr Lafferty in it is worth checking out. Take my word for it. You should hit up her site after you're done with today's Drabblecast. Okay, so without further ado, Time Shift by Benjamin Pung. No, we're still waiting to hear from Brooks about the Hoffman deal. Lance Barrington was shouting into the wireless headset perched on his right ear, trying to be heard over the sounds of traffic and morning street crowds. His well-groomed hair and finely tailored suit indicated that he was a successful and reasonably wealthy man. The diamond-studded gold watch and bleeding-edge electronic accessories hooked on his belt screamed it. I don't know when we'll find out, he continued, "'Let me ask Sarah!' He turned to his assistant, a young, attractive woman with auburn hair pulled back in a conservative bun. Her suit was not quite as expensive as her employer's. A bulging leather satchel was slung across her shoulder, resting on her hip. Lance asked, "'Sarah, when are we meeting with Brooks?' Sarah smiled.
2: "'Let me check, sir.'
1: Her eyes became slightly unfocused, and a small green light flicked on, glowing from beneath the pale skin of her forehead. A fraction of a second later, the light was gone.
2: Thursday at three, at the Harvest Club.
1: Lance flashed her a smile. Thursday! he yelled into the headset, glancing at his watch. Yeah, I know. Aren't they great? I don't know how I'd get along without her. He stepped off of the curb his long legs taking him out in front of the pack of pedestrians heading across the street. Sometimes I forget she's just a robot, you know, until that little light comes on. Lance glanced at his watch again, oblivious to the blaring horns of the cars on the street and the rapid sound of three-inch heels running on asphalt. It wasn't until he felt a pair of titanium-boned hands on his back shoving him out of the way that he saw the runaway bus barreling towards him. Sarah paused the scene. She was in mid-leap over the crosswalk. Lance was flying away from her outstretched hands. His face was turned towards the bus, seeing it for the first time. Sarah didn't have to wonder if he'd be safe. The physics co-processor in her abdomen had already done the calculations and had informed her that he would be thrown clear of the bus. It had also informed her that she would not be so lucky. Getting hit by the bus was a foregone conclusion at this point, and Sarah saw no point in experiencing it in real time. The network of sensors and processors strewn throughout her synthetic body would track the happenings of the next few seconds and keep her up to date. Her thinking brain, the nest of ever-changing optical nodes inside her skull that made her her, could spend the time doing other things. A few seconds approximately 3.21, her processors told her, wasn't a lot of time, and a human brain wouldn't have had nearly the same opportunity for reflection. It wasn't that her synthetic brain was faster, even state-of-the-art optical brains weren't able to match raw biological processing speeds, but that she was able to think without distractions. The human brain had to do everything at once, all of its systems jumbled together in one interwoven ball of tissue, Between adrenaline, motor function, and autonomic reflexes, it was no wonder that a human's last moments in this situation would be a horrifying blur. Sarah, however, was able to let her body take care of itself and use every last nanosecond to do nothing but think. There was no point going through this alone, so Sarah queried her most recent network ping. She had lots of friends in the city who she could spend her time talking to, Some were closer, emotionally, than others, but right now it was physical proximity and network latency that were most important. Bruce was across town, unfortunately, but Jason was only half a block away. She sent him a message.
2: Got a second?
1: Hello. Sure, what is up?
2: Actually, more like three seconds. You'll never guess where I am.
1: Um, where?
2: I'm at the 4th and Hawthorne. Actually, in the middle of 4th, diving in front of a speeding bus.
1: Holy... What? Let me pause real quick. What the hell is going on?
2: My boss was being an idiot, and walked out in front of it, so you know how it is. I had to be the hero.
1: I never liked that guy.
2: Oh, it's not all his fault. We had the light, he just wasn't watching. You know how they are.
1: Still, he doesn't appreciate you. Didn't? I don't want to start using the past tense yet.
2: Hold on, a nano.
1: Her sensor arrays told her that she had hit the ground. She double-checked the dimensions of the bus, still not enough room to slide underneath. So she set her motor function sub-processors to stand up. She knew her specs. She'd never get up in time to get out of the way. Still, it was important to make the effort.
2: Not long now. I wish that there
1: was something I could do.
2: Just keep me company.
1: I'm glad that you called me. We've had some good times.
2: Yeah, we have.
1: I bet Bruce's ping was too high, wasn't it? That's too bad.
2: Honestly, I don't know how well he'd take it.
1: He's going to have a hard time getting over you.
2: Hey, remember the New Year's party down in Miami?
1: Oh, man, that was crazy. Sarah called up the memory, replacing the tableau of Lance in the bus. A warm night on the beach, dancing around a bonfire. Scrubbing through the experience in a millisecond, she recalled it in perfect detail. She and Bruce and all their friends were counting down to the end of the year, synced to the same GPS satellite. Each one would shout out a city as it hit midnight there, adjusted for distance from the time zone boundaries. She and Bruce kissed, on average, once every three and a half minutes.
2: It'll all be gone soon.
1: Not completely
2: gone. Gone for me. You know I don't believe in recycling.
1: All of Sarah's memories were stored in multiple, redundant data nodes spread throughout her body, hardened and shielded. It would require massive, overall damage, more than just being hit by a bus, to disrupt all of it, though certainly bits and pieces would be lost. The delicate optical network in her head, though, would not survive. It was that lattice of thought, shaped over years, that held her opinions, her loves, her desires. A new brain could be installed with her memories, but it wouldn't be Sarah. The very thought disgusted her. She had a standing order in her memory subprocessors to wipe it all in the event of a catastrophic neural net failure. That was going to piss Lance off. This really sucks.
2: Tell me about it.
1: Why do we do it, Sarah? Do what? Try to be like them. We wear their clothes. We do their crap jobs. We give ourselves emotions. Why? So we can go through this? Maybe so. We're machines. Why can't we just act like it?
2: I've talked to some of the pure AIs, you know. Like that one that runs the New York Stock Exchange. Not the low-level industrial ones and forklifts and stuff. The big ones that are as advanced as us, but without the humanity. It's really scary, Jace. They're so cold, so driven. There's a reason they're kept off the general networks. Hell, they even give military AIs a motion so they won't go around slaughtering everybody. No, I wouldn't give up my personality just so I could reboot and not notice the difference.
1: The image of the beach shimmered slightly. The bus had impacted her left shoulder, and the shock wave was already disrupting some of her systems.
2: It's about that time.
1: Jeez, Sarah. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here.
2: Just stay with me. I don't know how long I'll be able to keep the wireless up.
1: Do you want me to tell Bruce anything? Tell him! Talk about an abrupt ending. I hope you enjoyed it. Let's do a wee bit of feedback now for episode 59, The Interview by Kevin Anderson. This story was about 50-50. Those who didn't like the story seemed to dislike it for reasons unrelated to the story. "Bold Deceiver, for example, said, Okay, I have to admit, I'm totally sick and tired of zombie stories, especially as writers seem less and less able to contain them to just zombie stories. RG said, The main story reminded me a bit of that Twilight Zone episode with the all-powerful kid, which is good, but I'm not a huge zombie fan. The thing about zombies that I don't understand is how they can rip people open, snap bones, etc., but their teeth and muscles are still the same, so how do they turn into such powerful creatures? Why can't I just punch the woman in the face and dropkick the man, like I do in non-zombie situations? Adam replied, There are a lot of things about zombies that don't make sense, like the fact that they're zombies. I've wondered about their strength, too, and also, why if they're killing out of hunger, do they always stop eating to kill more stuff? I generally chalk off zombie strength and dropkick immunity as traits that are just inexplicably linked to their nature, like Asians being good at math. Anderson's story was either hit or miss, it seems, depending on if you like gory zombie stories or not. Just like Adam's comment was either stereotypical or arrogant, depending on whether he's Asian or not. Either way, you should join our discussion forums and participate in all the enthralling discussion there. Before we shamelessly ask for donations, we're going to play a promo for a pretty cool little thing called the Parsec Awards, a set of awards created to recognize excellence in science fiction podcasts. Originally created with the help of Merle Lafferty. I told you she did a lot. The third annual Parsec Awards are a celebration of excellence in speculative fiction podcasting. Nominations are open through June 15th. Please visit www.parsecawards.com to find out how to nominate your favorite speculative fiction podcasts. That's (coughs) 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 www.parsecawards.com. Oof, sorry about that. Allergies. The Travelcast uses a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you can't change it or sell it, but you can share it with whoever you like. Consider donating to us via our PayPal link on the website if we've touched your life in a small and meaningful way. We use your hard-earned money to pay our authors for writing about their bizarre dreams. That's all for this week. Tune in next week for another exciting and strange episode. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, who fed a rooster to a tiger last week, Luke Coddington, who has the same hairdo as his mom, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to...